0: Good morning let me welcome you to crossroads we are excited that you're here and if this is your first time actually being with us at crossroads whether it's in the auditorium or you're joining us online, I just want you to know that this is a safe place. This is such uh, really an amazing community of people who have gone through some amazing things. And this is a place where we believe that anyone from any background is welcome because we do not allow any perfect people to attend at Crossroads. If you're perfect, you need to just go ahead. No, you don't need to leave. But again, if you think you're perfect. But at Crossroads, we believe that that change is possible, and that change or that transformation actually happens through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So keep joining us here, and whether you're not joining us here in person, if you're joining us online, we ask you to keep joining us there. We would love to have you here, but if you're more comfortable joining us online, whether that's at home or in the office, uh, just continue to do that. I've learned something. Uh, Even at my age, I've learned that you can really get to know people by listening to the questions that they ask. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you can really start to understand somebody and you can really get to know somebody if you'll just listen to the questions that they ask. I mean, if I could go this afternoon, it would probably scare some of you to death, but if I could go this afternoon and actually look at your browser search history, I could probably tell a lot about you. If I could go to your Google Uh, Or your DuckDuckGo, which I would strongly uh, advise you to quit using Google and start using DuckDuckGo. But if I could look at your browser and see the questions that you ask, I'm going to tell you, it would probably tell me a lot about you. Because here's the thing, thousands of times a day, people are asking questions on their browser. They're they're going to like Google, they're going to DuckDuckGo, and they're asking questions. And and, and I looked up this past week some of the most commonly asked questions. One of the most commonly asked questions every day is this question. How do I lose weight? That's the question that people want the answer to. Here's another one. How do I start my car? Now, there are some pretty bizarre questions that people ask also. People ask the question on their computer or on their smartphone, how do I get home? Well, I don't know. How did you get there? (laughs) Here's another question. It's bizarre. This is what some people ask. Are aliens real? Now, this next one is a little crazy. But it gets asked about 49,000 times a month. And people ask this question, does passing gas actually help me burn (laughs) calories? Here's another one. Do penguins have knees? I mean, you can tell a lot about a person by the questions they ask. And interestingly enough, when Jesus was on the earth, Jesus asked a lot of questions. And one of the things that I've discovered is that Jesus did not ask a lot of questions because Jesus needed to find out the answers to those questions. But Jesus asked those questions because he knew that you and I needed the answers to those questions, because the answers to those questions were actually going to benefit us. I mean, Jesus was a masterful question asker. He asked questions like, who do you say that I am? Why are you so afraid? That question that we looked at last week, do you love me? He asked the question, why why do you point out the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye? He asked the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? Deep questions. And depending on how you answer those questions, let me tell you, every one of those questions will impact your life. Well, we've spent the last two weeks um, answering some questions that I think are really, really important uh, because these are actually questions that come from living the life of faith. It comes from us as a follower of Jesus who are doing our best to live the life of faith. And and we've really started this week or started each week with two words that we're very familiar with, and and those two words are true or false. I mean, is the question that we're about to ask, is it true or is it false? And then we've looked at the question and we've tried to expound by Scripture what the Scripture says as it relates to answering the question. So this morning, I just want to dive right into our our question today. And here it is, true or false? I can overcome temptation. Now, think about that. True or false? Is it possible for me to overcome temptation? Because here's the thing. Jesus, the wisest teacher, and Jesus, the best question asker that there ever was, when he walked on this earth, not only did Jesus ask us questions and tell us things, but one of the most important things that I think Jesus ever said was letting us know that Satan was real. The devil, the evil one. One of the most important things that he said was that Satan was real, very real. And once Jesus let us know and understand that the devil himself is very real, Jesus also said that we need to understand that there's a battle. There's a battle going on. And, and, and Scripture sometimes describes this, this, this battle by using a metaphor. The the Scripture would say that you and I are involved, whether we see it or whether we know it or not, we are involved in something called spiritual warfare. And that warfare that you and I are involved in is a battle. It's a battle between good and evil. And can I just kind of be open and honest with you this morning? It's the very battle that you see playing out in front of you right now. It's a battle between good and evil. That is the very thing that's happening with all the things that you and I are seeing in the news right now. It is a battle. It's a battle between good and evil. Now, it it isn't the only metaphor that the Bible uses when it comes to talk about living the Christian life. But I have to say, when we talk about this, this aspect of the Christian life, that, that it's spiritual warfare, this is an import, it's very important. And, and we're part of, of, of it. It's, it's a spiritual battle. But, but then Jesus, in, in, in a variety of places, he starts to speak up and he starts to talk about the, the forces of evil. Jesus starts to talk about Satan. He starts to talk about the evil one. And then in Mark chapter 3, we find what I think is one of the classic texts of all Scripture. And, and let, me, let me just kind of set this up, and let me give you a little background, so hopefully this morning you can understand this, because again, this is one of those stories that we're going to dive into in just a moment, and again, most people will read right over this story because it's a little difficult to understand, But what we have happening here is that a group of leaders, a group of religious leaders, they've made a charge against Jesus. And the charge that they made against him is actually a very dark charge. They've said that he's possessed by a demon, talking about Jesus. That Jesus is possessed by a demon that they say he is visible. Now, again, this is one of those names that many times you don't see in Scripture. Maybe seven times in the New Testament. But Beelzebul is the name for Satan. It's the name for the evil one. And that word, that name, actually comes from the combination of two different words. It's the word Beel, which actually means Lord, and the word Zebul, which actually means house or the master of the house. They have actually accused Jesus of being possessed by a demon, and they've actually called him Satan. They've called him Beelzebul. And then in verse 27, Jesus tells a story. And let me just tell you this morning, this isn't just any story. This is a very strange story. So what I want to do from now on, for the rest of this message, essentially what I want to do is simply walk through this story. And the reason why I walk through this story is because in this story, you're going to find a staggering claim. And not only is this claim staggering, but the implications of this claim in this story is staggering for you and I. Look at Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 27, and listen to what Jesus says. These are actually the words of Jesus. Jesus says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then, after the strong man has been tied up, Jesus says, then he can rob his house. Now, again, look at that. And Tim, if you'll leave that up there for just a moment. Think about that story. And here's the thing I want to do this morning so that you can really understand this. I want to put this in terms that makes this story very relatable. I really need to help you understand it. Uh, So I'm going to use two different people that you're very familiar with. And let me just say this morning, I was going to use pictures of these people on the screen so that you would actually really know who these people are. But because of copyright issues and knowing that we're broadcasting, we could actually be sued. So I won't use pictures, but I think most of you will know who these people are. Let's say, for example, that... Everybody know Kevin Hart, the little guy who's who's a who's a comedian kind of guy, about this tall. Let's say Kevin Hart breaks into a house, and he's breaking into the house to rob it. He's going to rob the house. Now Kevin Hart breaks into the house according to the scripture that you see behind me with no weapons. He has no gun. He has no knife. He has nothing to rely on. He breaks into the house, and the only thing he has to rely on is his bare hands, just his own brute strength. But it turns out that the house that Kevin Hart is breaking into is actually owned by The Rock. (laughs) Dwayne Johnson, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? Kevin Hart breaks into the house that's owned by Dwayne Johnson. And guess what? When Kevin Hart breaks into the house, guess what? Dwayne is actually at home. And Dwayne walks into the living room, and he sees Kevin Hart, who has just broken into his house, and it's just the two of them. Man against man. Kevin versus The Rock. Now, let me ask you the question. How much stuff do you think Kevin's going to get away with? How much loot do you think that Kevin's going to be able to loot out of Dwayne's house without Dwayne, who is there, retaliating in some way? Well, you, you know... You can't have just anybody plunder the house of a strong man. Because the story just told us, if you look behind me, it says you better make sure that the strong man is restrained. Now leave it up there, Tim. let's, Let's take a minute and interpret this story. In this story, who's the strong man? Who's the master of the house that owns the plunder? It's Satan. It's the evil one. The strong man that Jesus talks about. The master of the house is Beelzebub. It's the evil one. It's Satan. Again, when we talk about the house, here's what I want you to focus on. The house could be this world. The house could be the, the system of this world, speaking specifically about human beings and human life. And the plunder that's at stake is everything that's fallen, everything that is under the influence of the evil one, particularly. You and me, particularly humankind, all human beings. Now, listen to what I'm saying. From the time of the fall in Genesis, we've all been imprisoned by our own fallenness. We're all, we're, we are under the curse. Every one of us in this room, in a sense, we're all prisoners. We're trapped in our own sinfulness in the domain under the influence of the evil one. That's, that's just the condition of, the, of humanity. That's the human condition. That, that's why we live in a world with as much pain and fallenness as there is. So this morning, that's my story. That's the story of my heart, and that's the story of your heart. But throughout Scripture, it talks about strategies that the evil one will use to continuously keep you and me imprisoned. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the two, what I see as the... Two main strategies that the evil one uses for keeping you imprisoned. The two main strategies that the that the evil one uses for keeping humanity imprisoned. And here's the way he does that. He starts with the strategy of temptation. See, the the way that Satan, the way that the evil one will will keep you imprisoned is he'll start with temptation. And, and, And again, when you think about temptation, you have to understand this is so central to who he is. It's so central to who the evil one really is that very often in Scripture we read and hear of him being actually referred to as the tempter. I mean, actually, the very first time we met him in Scripture, in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, when he appears in the Garden of Eden, what does he do? He appears there to tempt Adam and Eve to do something that was contrary to what they knew as it relates to God. They wanted, he wanted, the evil one wanted them to disobey God. That's the very first thing we see the evil one working to do, is to tempt And Paul actually, the Apostle Paul, expresses this when he writes to the church at Thessalonica because it's there that Paul is concerned. Paul is concerned about the church at Thessalonica. He's concerned about his brothers and sisters who live there. And this is his concern that we see in Thessalonians 3, verse 5. He says this. He said, I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor— had been in vain. See, we must understand that when it comes to temptation, for me and for you, for all of us, for all of humanity, the stakes are high. Very high. Temptation is just the the planting of thoughts. Temptation is just the, the planting of desires. that will cause you, that will incline you to betray what the Bible says that you should value most. To betray the things that you should cling to, the will of God. That's what temptation is. And and to me, again, a lot of this is my perspective, but it's my perspective from Scripture. Scripture. Temptation always really involves two aspects. The first of those aspects is this. Temptation is going to play on my desires. I mean, temptation is always going to play on my desires. The first aspect is that it's going to play on my desires. It will play with you when it comes to what you want or what you think you want. And I couldn't think of a better example than this light right here. Because again, th- this would hang out on my porch in the evening and it would come on or I would turn it on. And all of a sudden, the, the, the mosquitoes that are, that are buzzing around over here or the flies or, or some type of, you know, uh, aerodynamic bug that is in the air, they, they think, oh, that's what I want. That's the way temptation is. Temptation will make you think that this is what you want. That's the first aspect of temptation. The second aspect of temptation is this temptation will make you justify. It will make you justify doing what deep down inside you know you really shouldn't be doing. Temptation will appeal to what you desire. And it will try to get you to justify doing what you know you shouldn't do. You shouldn't look at that. You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't drink that. You shouldn't take that. You shouldn't make that phone call or that text message. It will make you justify doing things that you know you shouldn't do. And that's the very thing that the evil one did back in Genesis. He comes to Eve, and it's clear, it's become clear to Eve that the fruit that God said don't eat of, that the fruit is good and pleasant to the eyes. The text actually tells us that the evil one, Satan, is actually playing on her desires. Fruit is good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. And then Satan helps her justify doing what she knows she shouldn't do by saying to her, surely, surely if you eat that, you will not die. Satan says to her, God surely doesn't intend for you not to have access to something that's really good for you. That's temptation. Now we know. Now all of us know in this room, those listening, those watching online, now we all know how this works. And again, I don't know how else to say this, but some of you that are looking at me right now and listening to me are in a battle. And the battle that you find yourself in this morning is a battle between good and evil. The battle that you're in is, listen, 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 it's about life and death. And the great danger is that you just, you, you just might drift, that you never identify, that this is a battle. And let me tell you, in this battle between good and evil, listen to me this morning, because you need to walk out of here knowing that I said this, in this battle between good and evil, you need a power that is greater than yourself. You need a power that is greater than yourself. Some of you right now in this room are wrestling with temptation. And see, I don't know what your temptation is. But you're wrestling with temptation. And maybe this morning your temptation is just, just, you're just going to be bitter about something that's happened to you. You're just going to be bitter and refuse to, to give forgiveness to other people or receive forgiveness from other people. Or maybe you're giving in to the temptation to, to get mad and explode. And let me tell you, the stakes are high on that one. For some of you right now, you're, you're, you're being uh, giving in to the temptation of, of wanting to control or dominate another person. That's your temptation, to travel down this road that's anything but a road of love. For some of you listening, some of you watching, it's gossip. And gossip may have such a grip on you that every time you have an opportunity, you're always saying something negative about another person. A person, when it occurs you take the opportunity to say something negative about them before you even realize what you've done. For some of you this morning, the temptation is deceit. Because here's the thing, listen to this. Temptation and sin always involve deception. Wherever there is temptation and sin, there is virtually always going to be deception. In Revelation 12, verse 9, the evil one is called, listen, listen to me, listen. The evil one is called in Revelation 12, verse 9, the deceiver of the whole world. And his deception is that the sin that you're committing will ultimately bring satisfaction to your soul. And I think most of us know that that is the great deception. I mean, you take any sin, any sin, just name it. Everything that all of us wrestle with, greed and lust and bitterness, whatever it is, and if you let yourself go down that road and you become uh, a consumer of that sin, if you say, okay, I'm just going to give in to that sin, that, that, that temptation to, to commit adultery, to commit lust, to, com- to be bitter, to, to, to be deceitful. If you say, okay, I will give in to that sin from here till the day I die. I'm just going to give that sin free reign in my life. I want you to think about it. Is that going to lead you to being a better person? If traveling down that road of whatever that sin is in your life, is traveling down that road going to lead you to becoming the person that you want to be? Will going down that road, listen to me, bring long-term satisfaction? Because see, the deceptiveness of Satan... It is really to try to convince you that sin is anything other than the destruction of life. That's why we become so vulnerable to sin. Because we think sin is going to enhance our life. But listen to me this morning. If you think that, it's just deception. Because humanity has been sucked into this from the time of the fall. So I just want to have a word about dealing with temptation. And then we're going to get into the other strategy of the evil one. I told you there were two strategies. But I just need to take a moment and give you a little format for those of you in this room and listening and watching online who are dealing with temptation. I want to just pause here and ask everyone here, everyone watching, everyone listening to do something. Take this moment right here, right now, and identify an area of your life where you struggle with temptation. I mean, some of you, immediately, it came to the forefront of your mind when I started talking about temptation. Think right now about what you deal with. Is it, is it gossip? Is it, is it negativity? Is it, is it lust? Is it greed? And, and I want you to think about it. Get, get it in the forefront of your mind. I want to invite you to identify some area where right now you say, I struggle with that area. I struggle with the temptation. And again, for some of you right now, that area of your life is very evident. So think about what you're tempted to do. You're tempted to gossip. You're tempted to be bitter. You're tempted to be lustful. Think about that. And as you have that in the forefront of your mind, I want to give you a little format to deal with that and steps that I think will help you deal with that. And the very first step that we have is what we've just done. The very first step is just this. You just need to acknowledge it. The first step is to acknowledge that this is an area in my life that I'm tempted to sin in. The first thing you have to do when we're dealing with this temptation is to honestly be utterly candid. Because here's the thing, sometimes in, stru- in churches, we have what I call these destructive illusions that the evil one can try to spread, but it's not for us. Because we're in the church, or because we follow Jesus, we have these destructive illusions that people in the church, as a follower of Jesus, we really don't deal with temptation. We really don't wrestle with temptation as Christians. One of the lies of the evil one is just that. That spiritual people don't wrestle with temptation. So you come into the house of God and you pretend like nothing in your life is tempting you. But that's a lie. That's a lie out of the pits of hell. All of us in this room, me included, and those watching and listening online, all of us are tempted. So we start dealing with that temptation to commit, you know, lust or bitterness or whatever whatever that is. We start by acknowledging it, just being honest about what it is and ask a question. Because this is one of the most Important questions that I think you can ask. Once you've identified an area in your life where you're tempted to sin, once you've brought that to the forefront of your mind and you've acknowledged it, you need to ask this question. What needs do I have that are making me vulnerable to giving in to temptation? I mean, what is it in my life that's causing me to give in to the temptation of maybe gossip? Say you wrestle with gossip. Why does gossip happen in your life? Why do you spend time out of your day on the phone cutting other people down? Well, it may be that you cut other people down because you want to look better. Maybe you cut other people down and you gossip about other people because honestly, in your life, there's just an insecurity that you're dealing with. But your real need is to experience and to live in the love of God. So the the first thing you need to do to deal with temptation is just simply to acknowledge it. Be real candid about what you're dealing with. And then ask yourself, what needs do I have in my life? What are the things in my life that are causing me to be vulnerable to the temptation to commit that particular sin? And I'm going to tell you, it's going to take some work. You're going to have to reflect. You're going to have to ask God to help you examine your heart. But once you've identified what it is that you're vulnerable to, just acknowledge it. And here's the second step. Pulling this back from Nancy Reagan. Just say no. Make the decision that when you're tempted to gossip, that you're just going to say no. Decide right now that you're closing the door to that sinful behavior. Committing that sin is not an option. And so you need to make that decision right now. Because what we're dealing with, people, is spiritual. It's a spiritual battle with forces beyond flesh and blood. And let me tell you, if you're really going to deal with this, it's going to require prayer and not just any prayer. It's going to require earnest prayer. So decide right now that when you're tempted that you'll say no and then immediately ask God for help. Here's the third thing you need to do when you're tempted. Just share it with somebody you know. Share your temptation with another person. Find a follower of Jesus that you can trust and say, you know what? I need, it one, I need at least one other person to know the truth about me. This area is a real temptation for me. And then tell them what that area is and say, I just want you to know that. I want you to pray with me about that. I want you to ask me regularly, am I giving in to that temptation?" I have a very close friend who has struggled with pornography, and they gave me permission on a basis daily, weekly, monthly to ask them, have you actually gone and looked at pornography? If you don't have that kind of person in your life, that's the person that you need to get in your life. If it's just pastoral encouragement or challenge or exhortation or whatever the strongest word is, get that person in your life. You need to have someone in your life like that, okay? The strong man. The evil one. Who imprisons the fallen human race in this house does it by temptation. That's the way it starts. That's one of two primary activities that the evil one uses according to Scripture. But there's another one. And what's interesting is this other one is also named by using a name that we find in Scripture. The first activity that the evil one uses is temptation. But the second activity is the activity of accusing. In fact, the word Satan itself is a Hebrew word that simply means the accuser. This is the work of the evil one, to try to destroy and attack, to, to use shame and to use guilt. You know, when I was in high school, I remember one time being at a basketball game. I don't remember what, I, what grade of, of high school I was in, but somebody in the student section back then started this new thing. It was new to me anyway, and, and you may have participated with this in your school but when somebody on the opposing team made a mistake, committed a foul, hundreds of us students in the stands, we would get up on our feet, and we would stand up and point our finger at the offender and chant together a single word over and over and over. Does anybody know what the word? You, 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 you. I mean, and you got hundreds of students, just one word, you, 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 you. Everybody's saying it together. Now understand, we didn't do this to lead them to repentance. We didn't, underst- we didn't do this to lead them to conviction, to reconciliation. This was not a gesture of hope. Hope but we stood in the bleachers at Lebanon High School and used the word you, you, and we would point our finger in their faces because that was an exercise in shaming the individual for what they had done. Our intent was to leave them feeling exposed and isolated and defeated. Do you know what we were actually trying to do? We were trying to take that individual because of the mistake they made. We were trying to take them out of the game. Do you see where this is going? The devil comes and he points at you, 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 you. And he says, shame on you. How could you think of doing such a thing? For what you did, your name is forever going to be in the books. This will be a blotted against your name. This will be blotted against your number. It will go down into eternity, the heinous thing that you have done. You, 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 how could you do that? And that's the action of the evil one. And let me tell you right now, that action of him shaming you and guilting you, for some of you in this room right now, that exercise alone is crushing you. When the evil one comes to you and says, you, 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 how could you do that? Some of you are being crushed by that. Some of you are being flattened by this. Because the evil one wants to take you out of the game, so he will accuse you. He will try to get you to believe that what you have done is so awful that it is beyond God's ability to forgive you. Let me tell you, when the evil one points at you, that's not conviction. Conviction leads us to repent and to ask for forgiveness so that we can live in the power of the transformed life. But what the evil one is trying to do is to get you to a place where you wallow in despair. The evil one one whispers, now that you've done that, God will never use anybody like you. That thing that you did, that that can never be forgiven. Because of what you've done, listen to me, the evil one says, you will never be free of that burden. But Jesus says, in this story of Mark chapter 3, that here's what happened with the coming of Jesus. Here's what happened. Somebody else entered the house. And that other somebody that entered the house, that other someone is Jesus. And the master of the house, the evil one, he rises to capture this newcomer just as he's done other people a hundred million times before. Just the same way he captured Adam and Eve in every son and daughter since Eve. But this time it's different. Only this time, the one who enters is another kind of being. Because you see, he's stronger than the strong man. And Jesus says, the strong man, the evil one, is tied up. Now, of course, we know that the evil one is still at work. We know that Satan is still at work in this world. But it's not his house anymore. It's not his house. You see, the power of Satan and his freedom is severely limited. Now there's another way of life that's uh, available to human beings. There's this freedom that's available to us, and that freedom is forgiveness. And that's greater than condemnation. That's why Paul says what he said. He said, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation. Paul doesn't say there's just a little condemnation, or he doesn't say weak condemnation. He says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so important because let let me tell you this morning. People think sometimes that Satan in his power is equal to the power of God, he is not. God is the creator. Satan is a created being. God is infinite. Satan is finite. Satan does not share any of God's attributes as far as strength. He's not all-knowing like God is. Satan's not all-present like God is. Satan's not all-powerful. As God is. And Jesus in this story says that he has come and that he has bound the evil one and he's going to plunder his house. Jesus is going to plunder the house of the evil one. So, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is coming and going to people who live in a fallen world, who have fallen under the curse. But Jesus comes this morning like he did yesterday and he will tomorrow, and he says, you know what, I want you and I want you. Leave that house and come with me because I want you to enter a new house. Come with me because I want you to live in a new kingdom. And Jesus uses another metaphor. I'm not going to take the time to to turn to it right now, but in Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus says three words, four words. I saw Satan fall. He says, I saw Satan fall. Why did Satan fall? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is no match for Jesus. Amen? Satan is no match for Jesus. There is now present on earth a new force in the person of Jesus. And that's the kingdom of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail. One stronger Then the evil one has come. Satan has been bound. I saw Satan fall, Jesus says. Listen to what I'm about to say. You don't have to live in defeat. Because every time somebody trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you know what happens? Satan falls. Every time somebody trusts Jesus, Satan falls. Every time a brother or sister wrestles with temptation and they say no, just like Jesus said no to temptation in the desert. Every time a guilt-ridden, despairing son or daughter of God says no to the accuser and, bra- and, and embraces God's forgiveness. Every time a brother or sister gets back in the game after they said no to temptation, The work of the kingdom goes on, and Satan falls. Where are you this morning? Have you said yes to Jesus? I'm telling you, and I said it more explicitly in the second service than I did in the first service last week. People listen to me. It's time to get our lives right. I've never felt it like I feel it now. Revelation is being played out before us in, our very eye, in front of our very eyes. You can't leave out of here today without having heard Randy Cook say, Get it right. Get right with Jesus. Be ready when the trumpet sounds. And the dead in Christ are called up into the air to meet him. And those that are alive, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you made him the Lord and Savior of your life? Because I don't want you to go out of here today without doing that. I'm not a doomsday thinker. I know what Revelation says. And I know how it's going to happen. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I mean, there are all kinds of things. You know, you could, I, I, I don't, you know, here's the thing. I know where my faith is, and I know where the trumpet sounds. I'm going to be out of here, and I don't want you to be left behind. Don't allow the evil one to deceive you. Can, can I just tell you something really quickly this morning that, that has been placed on my heart more than once One of the things I'm hearing God say to me is do not be deceived. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know everything that that means. Do not be deceived. I'll tell you what I said last week in the end of the second service. Donald Trump ain't going to save you. Joe Biden is not going to save you. The United Nations is not going to save you. Only Jesus is going to save you. I'm going to tell you, vote the way you want to vote, your convictions. Pursue the things that you need to pursue, but let your gaze be fixed on Jesus. And be ready when the trumpet sounds. Because every time somebody places their faith in Jesus, Satan falls. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? I don't know who you are or where you are in this room, listening, watching online, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. It's the day that you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not that simple. It's not that hard. It's very simple. Right where you are, just simply acknowledge that you are a sinner separated from God. And that on your own, you can do nothing for yourself. Without the blood of Jesus that we sang about, there's nothing that covers you. Only the blood of Jesus covers you. It frees you. It gives you forgiveness. And that forgiveness is found in the blood of Jesus. Would you claim that blood today if you haven't done that before, right where you're seated, right where you are, whether that's at home, in your car, in the office? Would you realize that under your own power, you can do nothing for yourself? Would you receive what Jesus sacrificed for you? Would you just say, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner? And I felt this this little place in my heart that, that, that was empty, that needed to be filled. And today, I'm asking you, Jesus, even though I have questions, even though there are things I don't understand, I'm just asking you to fill that and to bring the newness of life that I actually need. Allow me to walk out of here in forgiveness, experiencing only what you can give me. I repent of my sins. I turn and I look to you, Jesus, to be the author, the finisher of my faith my friend, my leader. And let me tell you, if you prayed that prayer, you can get one of those cards and let us know that you prayed that. You can send me an email, randy at crossroadslebanon.com. Let us celebrate with you. Let us move you into the next steps. God, for the rest of us, may this be a wake-up call that we as followers of Jesus are not immune from temptation. Let us identify it, deal with it. And let our focus be on Jesus and the kingdom because every time we focus there, Satan falls. God, we love you and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would
1: you stand in worship with us?